Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors, endless stories. Friends in Fiction is a podcast with five best-selling novelists whose common love of reading, writing, and independent bookstores bound them together with chats, author interviews, and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Best-selling novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. At the start of the pandemic, they got together for a virtual happy hour to talk about their books, their favorite bookstores, writing, reading, and publishing in this new uncharted territory. They're still talking, and they've added fascinating discussions with other best-selling novelists. So join them live on their Friends and Fiction Facebook group page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, or listen and view later at your leisure. Welcome to Friends and Fiction. I'm Mary Alice Monroe, and my latest novel is On Ocean Boulevard. I'm Mary Kay Andrews, and my latest novel is Fellow Summers. <laughs> I'm Kristen Harmel, and my latest novel is The Book of Lost Names. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey, and my latest book is Feels Like Falling. And I'm Patty Callahan Henry, and my latest is Becoming Mrs. Lewis. And sometimes we forget how to go in alphabetical order. <laughs> oh, that's the hardest part. Like, we can handle the show now, just not alphabetical just, order. And we're all about that. <laughs> and this, my friends, is Friends in Fiction. For tonight, we are so thrilled to be diving into our fall season with the perfect author to have you cuddling up under a comfy throw and turning pages to the wee hours of the morning. We have with us the queen of forensic mysteries, Kathy Wrights. And it's really hard to write an intro for this woman because her accomplishments are mind-boggling. You have to go to her website to read the entire impressive list. But tonight, I'll give you just a brief glimpse on the amazing Dr. Reichs. We all know Kathy Reichs as the author of the uber-successful Bone series with Temperance Brennan, also the very popular Bone TV series, with an astounding 246 episodes over 12 seasons. I mean, think about that. I know I see it all the time. There are 26 books in the series and number 27, The Bone Code, will be out in March, 2021. Kathy has also co-authored the young adult series called Virals with her son, Brendan Reichs. Now, Dr. Reichs received her bachelor's degree in anthropology from American University and her master's and PhD in physical anthropology from Northwestern University. She is one of only 100 forensic anthropologists ever certified by the American Board of Forensic Anthropology. And that's saying a lot. And her experiences are impressive. To name a few, Dr. Reichs traveled to Rwanda to testify at the UN Tribunal on Genocide. And this is very emotional. She assisted in recovery of remains at the World Trade Center following the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Mm -hmm. 
Kathy brings all this extensive knowledge to her fiction. And is it any wonder why her books are instant bestsellers worldwide? So welcome, Kathy Wright. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Kathy. <laughs> We're so glad you're here. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Well, we get to begin asking you all our questions, and then we'll pull questions from the audience. But first, Park Road Books. As you all know, we are passionate supporters of independent booksellers. Tonight, our guest, Kathy, chose her favorite bookstore, Park Road Books, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And tonight, they're offering a 10% discount on Kathy Reich's A Conspiracy of Bones, as well as the titles of our new fictions. And also select paperbacks as well, so check out the website. The link to the bookstore is posted on the Friends and Fiction page. All right, Kathy. A Conspiracy of Bones. <laughs> it's like, get ready. Here comes the first question. A Conspiracy of Bones came out in March. And so, like the rest of us, your book tour was canceled. And that coronavirus kind of took us all for a ride. And as we've often talked about on this show, that's how the spark for Friends in Fiction actually began. We came together on lock during lockdown and started this show. Now, summer's coming to an end, or it's actually over, and we're sort of moving into the new normal. And the question I have for you and for everybody is, is there something that you've discovered or learned during the stay-at-home time that you might not have otherwise learned or something that you value that you choose to keep with you? Kathy, anything? Gosh, I was quarantined in at my beach house with two of my daughters and four of my grandkids. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, for about four months. Um, and I think that one of the things I learned is how to do hair, how to do little kids' hair. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love yeah, it. So I wasn't so good because it had been a few years since I'd done my own daughters. But yeah, I guess that was it. I resharpened that skill, um, making peanut butter sandwiches, you know, all of those yeah. things that I hadn't done for a while. But how wonderful you got to spend those four months with your grandchildren. <laughs> I hear the laughter in the room. Yeah, fortunately, it's a pretty it was a pretty big house. Um, I subsequently sold that house and moved out. But um, yeah. so the kids behind, we were able to spread out, so that helped a lot. And there was the beach and the pool and that. So. Well, I just have to point out that during that four months, we're a few blocks apart, and I was up in North Carolina. We never saw each other. That's true. <laughs> that yeah. once, that once. All right, I'd love to ask that same question. Um, Kristen, how about you? Did you? Anything that you've learned or discovered that you'd like to keep? Uh, yeah, question, Mary Alice. Um, I was thinking about it as Kathy was talking. I think one thing I've learned is, you know, we all know that um, that uh, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade saying, right? But I feel like yeah. one lesson I've learned during this whole thing mm -hmm. is that sometimes life gives you both the lemons and the sugar you need to make the lemonade. And I feel oh. like, um, you know, and I feel like this is sort of a perfect example of that. I mean, it felt like the world was ending in March and then this whole thing started and I just, you guys have been my sugar. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it, you know, I, I think, I think there's always sweet with the sour in life and, and you just have to remember to look for it. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. 
literally. That was yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Mary Kay Andrews? Well, you know, I um at, at the very beginning when we thought, oh, you know, we'll, we'll have no food in the stores, mm. I tinkered with uh, bread baking. And after a few efforts, I actually produced a pretty respectable loaf of sourdough. And you can actually see, you know, kind of my process on um, on my uh, Instagram page. I did little videos of it. And then I made actually some really decent um, made from scratch hamburger buns. And um, the other, you know, one of the other things I found was about 15 extra pounds from all the... <laughs> <laughs> All those times I was eating like it was my job. Um, and the other thing was um, I learned that if I sat down and wrote every day with no excuses, there were no excuses. I had to write every day for basically six months in a row that I could produce a book and turn it in two months ahead of deadline. And that's something I've never done in my 30-year career. That's amazing. Bravo, bravo. Mm -hmm. That's really, yeah. That And I, I'll leave that open because I suspect other people are going to talk about that. Uh, Christy or Patty, who wants to go first? Go ahead, darling. I mean, I learned that if I'm out on a Friday night and Mary Kay Andrews texts me and says, you're writing at seven, do not send me any excuses, then, you know, I do it. <laughs> So, um, which is true, but um, really just being home has been kind of amazing. I mean, I know we all travel so much and I was obviously so panicked about not going on a book tour, but I think I'll always, well, I know I'll always remember this summer, but there was just such simplicity to it. I mean, we spent, you know, every night like fishing on the dock with mm. little boys and um, it, it's just been, it's just, there's been something kind of special about it, even though it's been crazy but just to have you know be with will and get to be with his friends and i was laughing i had a girls weekend last weekend and the girls pulled out and it was like the minute they pulled out of the driveway all these little boys came running in and they were like we're getting on the boat we need sandwiches and i'm like yep Bob, that's me sandwiches like it's just it's funny it was like just a simplicity that i really really have loved you should have called Kathy. Uh, I know, got them for bread. <laughs> I've, I've got the lemonade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I learned that. That's really a nice image. Who knew? Yeah, that's a nice image sitting on the dock <laughs> kids. Okay, Patty. Oh, there's so many things that I feel like um, were silver linings. And, and it's hard to talk about them because we also talk about how because so many hard things were happening at the same time. Yeah. And so with all the hard things happening, it, it's easy to forget some of the beautiful things that were happening. And like Christy, because she stole my answer because she does that sometimes. I do. We share our <laughs> brain. So annoying. Um, <laughs> one of the things I you asked what we'll keep. And I really want to keep the the slower pace, not the the not being so hectic and spinning and and hundred miles an hour. I mean, maybe just ninety miles an hour. But uh, I think I think all of us would agree that maybe we were doing a tiny bit too much, and we realized that the work is the most important. I mean, along with our families, but. Um, we got so much more work done because we settled in. And I don't want to lose that. I want to keep that. Yeah. 
I agree. Yeah. And that kind of ties in with all, all the sprints in the morning, yeah. which Debbie has been the taskmaster for. Those were all really great answers. And I hope everyone out there is thinking about what you've discovered mm. that we want to keep too. All right. I guess it's time for the program where we get to say, Kathy, will you tell us about A Conspiracy of Bones? We want to hear about your book. Oh, gosh. Um, in Hollywood, we talk about the elevator pitch where you summarize your, in five bullet points. So I guess it would be a brain lesion, um, a, a faceless corpse, um, a conspiracy theorist. Um, oh, I'm running out of points. Exploitation of the vulnerable. Mm. Exile, exile. That would be another one. So those are the features of the book. Tempe is exiled from the medical examiner office. She's dealing with some health issues. She's having to work on identifying this faceless corpse outside, relying on her own resources. And um, so the book has a little bit different tenor than most of the books. When, and she had, well, I'll ask you the question, but one of the things I love about it, it was so personal. And so I'll ask you that going into that question. It's, it's a great book. Frankly, I just, it's one of my very favorites. It really is. I think you really outdid yourself on this one. It was very powerful. Anyway, so let me ask my question. Are you done talking about the description? I don't want to rush you. I'm <laughs> trying to I don't, want, I don't know how much we're supposed to ramble on, but. As long as you like. Oh, well, you know, you can ask me questions about what I just said. I mean, she's working okay. in style. She, um, we learned in, in the bone collection, um, the bone collection, <clears throat> that her boss for years and years and years, Tim Larrabee, was murdered. So there's a new medical examiner in Charlotte. There's a new boss in town. And Tempe and this woman have history. And this woman has sworn that she will never, ever work in the ME office again. So that's really hard for our gal. And also the fact that she is recovering from an un, unruptured uh, a cerebral aneurysm and she's yeah. having some lingering effects and she can't completely, for the first time in her life, she can't completely rely on her own perceptions. What mm -hmm. is real and what is not real for her on a personal level. And that's also the broader theme of the book. What is real and what is not real? Because we are, I don't know if anyone turned on their TVs last night, um, but we are constantly inundated with uh, false information, with disinformation and misinformation. And how does the average, anybody can get on the internet, anyone can get on the, the airways, anyone can put out a blog and say whatever they want to say. So how does the average person sort through all that and figure out what is fake news, you know, what is real and what is not real? So that's the broader theme of the book. And that's one of the reasons why I really, I think I love this book. There's so much in it. It's just so rich. And a, a lot of the issues really as a female reader too, because your books appeal to male and female. But as a female reader, I understand she really hit this woman with a lot of really personal issues. There's the unfolding of the crime, which you just described. But also for me, it was her personal struggles that really of temperance that really struck home. She, like you said, she was forced to really reassess her career, take a hard look at her health. And it, I think the biggest thing, oh, that was my dog shaking the... <laughs> <laughs> calm down, calm down. <laughs> it's not an earthquake, it's only my dog. 
But she also, what I thought was so brilliant was she had to question her judgment yeah. because of her aneurysm. Yeah. And I thought, and then every, while, like you said, she's fighting with this boss, she has, she's dealing with her, her beau, which we all love, Ryan. But the whole thing felt really personal. And then at the end of the book, you have this section from the forensic files of Kathy Reichs. And it's there that you revealed that you had had an aneurysm. And I was stunned. I mean, I was absolutely blown away. And the question that came to mind was the alt, you know, how much of Tempers Brennan is your fictional alter ego? And I know she's not you. I know you, and it's not your personal life history. And by the way, everyone out there, Kathy has one of the most wonderful families. Really very, plus she just testified that she was in a house for four months with her grandchildren. It's a very beautiful and close family. But I'm curious, what are the parallels between the forensic anthropologist, Tempe Brennan, and you? And what are the difference? And what ins what kind of courage and inspiration was it that you brought out the aneurysm for Tempe? Because I thought it was a stroke of brilliance. No pun intended, right? No, I totally lost track of the question. I don't know. Normally, a parallels between you are, and Tempe. certainly there are, and it's more it's a complicated question because we have the two Tempe's. There's book Tempe and there's TV Tempe, and they're different. Ah. You know, and, but the book Tempe that I created, I did base her professionally on myself. Obviously, she um, she's a forensic anthropologist. She works at crime scenes. She works in medical legal labs. She commutes between North Carolina and Quebec. Um, I remember when the first book came out, a, a reviewer saying, this is so unrealistic. Nobody could ever that. <laughs> well, hey, buddy, I, you know, it's what I do. <laughs> That's what I had her do. But I wanted her also to be approachable. I wanted her not to be perfect. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't base her on, on myself if I was going <laughs> to. So I gave her some flaws. I gave her, yeah, I never go into any detail, but I allude to in her past, she had a colorful period with alcohol. So she's a non-drinker now. Um, so those are strictly Tempe. The, her relationship with Andrew Ryan, which is rocky um, on and off, you know, that's strictly Tempe. Um, I am told, my friends tell me that we share the same rather sarcastic uh, sense of humor, that, that when she says something, they can just hear me saying the same kind of thing. <laughs> thing. And the, the inspiration for giving her, I mean, I thought it was pretty courageous to give her the aneurysm, but is that because you understood it or you wanted to complicate the character even more? Yeah, well, I wanted her to be dealing with something particularly difficult in this, which it wasn't. It was really kind of a walk in the park, frankly. Um, uh, they discovered it serendipitously looking for something completely oh. else. And they said, no, you don't have that something else. But by the way, there's this little bubble off, off one of your uh, cerebral vessels. So we tracked it for many years and it never changed. I'd go in every year and have a, um MR. A, I guess it was. And then finally one year he said, you know what, it changed a little bit. Let's just go in and block it off. So they snake something up through, I think they come in like your femoral artery and go all the way up and into your brain. And they put some little coils and they just block it off. Uh, so it's, it's 
it was not a big deal. But I gave her lingering after effects that I yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, because I really wanted her to be. She's in a pretty bad place in this book. She's dealing with a lot of different. And she didn't know her own judgment. Like, am I imagining this? Is this me or is this real? Well, yeah, exactly. And for her, that's that's something quite new for her. Yeah. All right, Christy. Um, so as Mary Alice has already mentioned a little bit about, um, you gifted your readers with um, the from the forensic files of Dr. Kathy Wright's section at the end of the book. And it reads like a writing tip on how you construct your novels. Can you tell us a little bit more about your research process for a conspiracy of bins? Oh, my research, it always begins with something I'm trying to look two years down the road because it takes you a year to write a book, a year in production. So what's going to be on people's minds? Not the aneurysm again, no pun intended. But what's going to be on people's minds two years down the road? And it was this whole thing about fake news, alternative facts. How do we, so I wanted to, I wanted to work that in. I wanted these, these wackadoo, uh, conspiracy theorists that are on the on the air and on on the internet I wanted to use that as a theme um, I, I do a lot of research before I start writing um, I, I choose a, a particular kind of science that I'm going to use to drive the story um, and I use a different forensic science in each in each book so I research that for example um, creating phenotypic you can now use DNA to predict. Um, hair color, eye color, and skin color, and broad ancestral background—that kind of thing. Well, that's interesting. Why don't we? Why don't we use that? So I'll research that. Um, but then there comes a point where I start writing, and then it's—it's—it's. It's, it's, I write in a linear way. I start with chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. My daughter, Carrie, who was mentioned earlier, um, I think. If she's in a good mood, she writes the love scene. And if she's in, in a bad mood, she writes the death scene. You know, I that's I can't do that. That's just wrong. So <laughs> I do write in a very linear fashion, but it's it's circular. It's feedback. So as I'm writing, um, if I just stumble on something and, you know, I'll be researching forensic genealogy, but I stumble on something else, I, I think, oh, that's great. I'm going to use that and incorporate it. And, and then, of course, you have to go back and make changes earlier in, in the book. Did that answer? So oh, I'm yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I research every single little thing. If I've got her turning left off of Main Street on the Third Avenue in Cincinnati, you know, I'll make sure I look it up and make sure you can do that. And it's not a one way street or, you know, or whatever. That's fascinating. I mean, and, and it is an ever-changing field, and that must make it really exciting. There's always something new happening and another step being taken. So that's great. Yeah, and I'm always looking for those little, either at a professional meeting, at, going to a presentation, a scientific presentation, or in our journals, looking for those articles that are little articles that are you know, a year ahead of what people are going to be aware of or some new you know, breakthrough. Using now to determine how long someone's been dead, or you know, oh, I think that's good stuff. Let's, you know, let's yeah. But that's the advantage of actually doing the work yourself. You know, that's yeah. your field. Yes, and I have the advantage that I, you know, I work well. I pretty much 
eased out of it because it just it was too much. I was doing an adult book, a young adult book, and a screenplay every year. So I something mm. had to go. So what I let go was wow. the casework. Um, but I still have all my colleagues. I can still phone them up or go to the lab and walk down the hall and ask them about you know mitochondrial DNA and cat hair or whatever it is I want to know. <laughs> That's a big. <laughs> Wow. Mind-boggling question. I know you have a question. Yeah, uh, Kathy, you mentioned Carrie, your daughter, um, and I actually first met you years ago through Carrie, um, and I remember being really struck at the time by the closeness the closeness of your family. Um, so, of course, Mary Alice mentioned earlier that you co-written a young adult series with your son, Brendan. And I've known Carrie for years. Um, so for all of you out there who don't know Carrie Rikes, um, she's a writer too. And her 2012 novel, What You Wish For, is one of my favorites. And it's one I think this group would really enjoy. I think it's right up the Friends in Fiction Alley. So check that one out. Um, Kathy, Carrie's also one of the strongest, most inspiring women I know. I just think so highly of her. So um, in any case, they've both carved out their own corners of the writing world. And they've completely succeeded on their own. But I know they've worked on projects with you too. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to have them following in your footsteps a little bit as writers and also what it's been like to work with them as colleagues? Because I know you've collaborated with both of them. Yeah, and they're both very strong personalities. Uh, they're both attorneys. So when you're working, Carrie and I wrote screenplays together. We wrote four, four episodes of Bones together. And Brendan and I wrote six um, young adults, the viral series. So we had a way of doing it, of divvying it up. And then we would have uh, more so with the books, we would have our editorial meetings and discuss our creative differences. <laughs> I would edit his work, he would edit my work, and then we'd go in my office, close the ah. door and discuss um, our differences. But we we managed to somehow take off the mother-son hat or the mother-daughter hat and just put on the co-author hat. And um, I think I respected, they're better at certain kinds of writing, certain aspects of writing than I am, and I'm better at some aspects than, than they are. Brendan is Cracker Jack at uh, plotting. He's just really good at plotting. And uh, yeah, so we, we just played off each other's Strengths. That's not to say we didn't didn't have disagreements, and then um, we did it my way. So that worked. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a mother. Motherness. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have I have all the book covers in my office in Charlotte, framed and lined up on a high high shelf, kind of circling my office. And if Brendan would say, well, why should we do it your way? What do you, what makes you think you know more about writing than I, and I would just point to the 19. <laughs> <laughs> say, yeah, well, okay, whatever. There you go. I love it. That's awesome. I can see you do that too. I love Patty, that. Um, <laughs> Kathy, I think it is so fascinating that you write with your kids. And so it's obvious that you They've watched you write. You've instilled this in their lives. I'm really curious, and it's a question we try to ask every guest, but tell me about your family growing up, the values around reading and writing with the family you grew up in. Is it different than how you raised your kids with reading and writing? And how would you how would you compare them? I remember a big emphasis on reading growing up. My mother was a big reader. Um, she led... There was these this cl club, national club, I guess, called Great Books. Yeah, I remember that. And 
She led oh, yeah. great books discussions on radio primarily, but occasionally on TV as well. So she was a big reader and she always encouraged us to read. So that was always an important, important part of growing up. I don't remember much emphasis on writing. Mm. I didn't have much interest in, you know, I kept a diary when I was 14. You know, everybody does that. And um, I hope to, to God no one ever finds it later. But um, <laughs> But uh, but 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 I really avoided uh, literature classes in university. I didn't want any any part of that. I I took the obligatory. We had to take a two course sequence, so I did introduction to poetry and introduction to fiction. And then I just wanted to be over in the science labs. I just wanted to be taking zoology and physiology and you know all the ologies over there. So I really have no training in writing and um, didn't have much interest in creative writing for the, well, other than my resume, you know. That, <laughs> you know and then I made professor at the university and I was free to do whatever I wanted to do. And I just thought it would, for some reason, all of a sudden I decided it would be fun to write fiction. You know, so I, I, was, I was a nurse before I started writing fiction. And so in college and in graduate school, they were all the ologies. And yes. same as you, I was an avid reader, but I never once thought about writing a book. Yeah. Until, yeah. until I did. So that's why I'm always curious about the background and the values around reading and writing, because I feel like I have this theory, unproven theory, that the more family supported reading and writing, or even just reading and literature in the family, it kind of bubbles up later in life. Yeah. And you can't be a writer if you're not a reader. I know. So yeah, you can try. It's just you know. <laughs> All right, Mary Kay. Well, Kathy, you've touched on this a little bit, and you've discussed how um, in this book you started it at a time when the national there was a national atmosphere of suspicious and doubt, uh, and you know, fake news and alternative facts. And so um, it was interesting for me as a former journalist, it was a painful reminder to me of how important um, independent journalism is in a time like this. Could you discuss what, was there like one tipping point, one thing that made you understand you needed to talk about that in Conspiracy of Bones? I think it was just one Alex Jones. Is that his name? Alex? Yeah. Yeah. Exposed yeah. to many. And, you know, you say to yourself, how can anyone listen to this and, and actually believe this stuff? And I started researching conspiracy theories and just some of the wildest things are out there. How can anyone and people believe it? Uh, you know, Marilyn Monroe is living with Elvis in, 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 in Timbuktu or whatever. You know, how can people believe it? And there, then there are whole chat rooms where they talk about how it's true. And so it was just a cumulative effect of all of that um, going on out there. And then in a dark place. I'm sorry. Did you feel as though you were in a dark place when you went down that rabbit hole of all these conspiracy theorists? Good question. Well, I did go down, you know, I did go down into the dark web. I did download the, the Tor browser and I did go poke around them. Yeah, I mean, there's some pretty, pretty grim stuff down there, both visually yeah. and, and just verbally as well. And to think that there are people that 
that believe that stuff. It's just it's just beyond me. But and it's, it came timely. Yes, it came quite timely. Yes. So. Um, and that's, I think, the points of the book is it's not just right wing whack jobs. It's people in authority who are putting putting this stuff out. Right. Well, I think it's time to talk about the bookstore of the week. <laughs> <laughs> and we get to highlight oh, every week an independent bookstore. And this week, Kathy chose her favorite, Park Road Books in Charlotte, North Carolina. This store has been independently, independently owned and operated since 1977. And Park Road has been a cornerstone of Charlotte's local community for 43 years. They are the only full-service independent bookstore in Charlotte, and they pride themselves on finding the right book for the right person. And you can see that you can contact them. There's the link, and it's also on our Facebook page. Hello, Park Road Books. I think you know a lot of us. Most of us have all come to do events in Charlotte with you. And Park Road Books is offering 10% off Kathy Reich's books or the latest releases of all of ours, as well as some select paperbacks through October 2nd. So go to the link or call the store at 704-525-9239. And that number is going to be on our Facebook page. So everybody, the pandemic does continue and all of us really want to support our local independent bookstores. And the link to Park Road Books is on the Friends in Fiction page. So please use it. Just make a click and buy a conspiracy of bones. Okay, so the five of us have had a chance to ask Kathy questions. Now it's your turn. So we're going to choose two questions from our website. And Christy, how about the first one? Um, Connie Clogston Dorch wants to know how true was the TV show Bones to your books? Uh, how true was it to the books? Um, it was really what we did is they they optioned the character, the Temperance Brendan character. So that was the core concept. And then if you've watched the show, it's quite different in many ways from the books. Uh, Tempery is younger. Um, she's taller. <laughs> she, Emily Deschanel did a fantastic job with this character. Um, it's set in Washington, D.C., whereas my books are set primarily in uh, North Carolina, the Carolinas and uh, Montreal in, in Quebec, although she does travel around. There's one book in Guatemala. There's one in Israel. She does get around. Um, so so there are definite differences. Also on TV, Tempe works at a full-time, it's called the Jeffersonian, um, right up until we had to put the logos on the lab coats and on the truck, we, we were not able to get permission. The, the Smithsonian people were not saying, no, you can't call it the Smithsonian, but they were not saying yes, the lawyers. So we called it the Jeffersonian. Um, so that's different um, from Tempe in the books. In the books, she does what I do. She moves between these two um, jurisdictions. Uh, let's see. So what other differences are there? She works on the TV show. She works with an FBI agent, the Seely Booth, whereas that type character is uh, in the books, Andrew Ryan, who is a provincial police officer, um, from Quebec. So the core idea of being a forensic anthropologist and working with unidentifiable human remains, whether they're burned or mutilated or mummified or decomposed or dismembered or just skeletal, um, and getting an identification and um, figuring out 
cause and manner of death. That core idea of solving the crime um, is the same in both the books and on the TV series. Amazing. Thank you. And Kristen, how about you? Can you pull one up? Yeah, we have another great one from, um, from Pamela Emerson, who says, did Terrence become the woman you expected when you conceived her? Yeah, I think so. Um, as I said, I didn't want her to be perfect. I wanted her to have flaws. I wanted her to be approachable, but I wanted her to be smart. And I wanted her to be compassionate about her work. Um, so, um, you know, I don't really, I don't really buy into that. I was that the character took off on their own. You're the author. You have the keyboard. You have the delete key. So um, I think she's evolved. She has evolved. She has changed over time, both in the TV series and in the books. Um, she has changed over time, but I think in a good way and in a way that I wrote and I planned. So um, not from the, I didn't plan everything from the beginning through the twentieth book, but I mean everything. <laughs> in the books i wrote it so um yeah i i she does what i tell her to do basically <laughs> good answer I'm like, I'm like all those grandkids in your house <laughs> and they are cute oh my gosh they're cute they're pretty cute well now we got to bring up some uh, questions from the audience let's see who comes <laughs> there she is, and there they are. Hi, everybody. Hi, Barry. Hi, Barry. Hi, Barry. Hi, Barry. Um, big fan here, longtime reader, first time caller. Um, <laughs> I have a couple of questions for you. And first and most importantly, I would like to know what important writing skills that you have learned from your talented and successful daughter and your brilliant grandchildren. <laughs> You cut out a little bit. What writing skill did I learn from my daughter? Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Let me think about that. <laughs> How to close the office door when you're really under deadline and just uh, uh, put someone. Carrie and I, as, I, as I, I mentioned you earlier, Carrie, I don't know if you've heard that. We have very different approaches. Um, I'm much more linear and rigid uh, in how I write, whereas you tend to follow your mood. So I guess I've learned a little bit of doing that, although it's still wrong. It's not the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a serious question that I have because, you know, there's been a lot of changes from when you wrote your first book to now with your 19th. And I'm curious, how have you approached writing differently and how do you approach your characters and just the administrative side of writing from your first to your 19th novel and how did writing for television change and impact the way that you write for novels now? That's, That's like three different questions. Um, well, when I wrote the first novel, I had, I had no expectations and no limitations because I had no publisher. So I just wrote it <laughs> hoping that I'd be able to sell it. So, and I had no training. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. When I finished the first book, which took me two years because I was teaching full time and I had these, these, these little ratty kids around, um, <laughs> I, I didn't know what to do. So Carrie had a friend who had a friend who worked for some publishing house. So she said, well, why don't we write a cover letter and mail it to this? Wow. So I said, well, you know, find out what publishing house and what they do. And it turned out Mary Sue Rucci was a junior editor at Scribner. So I thought, oh, yeah, that's a pretty good house. So we just composed a cover letter and mailed it off, which no is not, yeah, not the way it published. And of course, 
Mary Sue is on the other end of this, having been told that her friend's 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 mother's first novel is coming her way. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Always a good time. <laughs> well, Mary Sue later told me that she took two or three chapters. Home. She lived in Brooklyn, I think. Took two or three chapters home with her, thinking you know, already composing her reject letter. I'm sure. <laughs> Got in her car, went back into Manhattan, got the rest of the book, took it home and read it and handed it on up the line. And I think I had an offer within two or three weeks. It was very wow. bad. Wow. That is not the way, that is not the way to go about um, getting published. So that's just a good indication of how naive I was and how I didn't have a clue what it was I was doing on the mm -hmm. first book. 19 books, 20 books, I just got my editorial letter back on number 20. Mm -hmm. um, very minor suggestions. Um, 20 books down the road, I, I know how the industry works and um, I know a little bit more about it and I go about it in a little more um, well-informed manner, I think. You still have the same editor? I do not, um, I have, uh, but I've had great longevity. My first editor uh, was with me for seven years and then she retired. Mm. And my next editor was with me for another, I, I've only had three editors. So I've been, and it's, it's because they retired. They left me. <laughs> you wore them out, Kathy. <laughs> yeah. I just have to tell everybody those adorable children that we just saw who, who just skirted off. I don't know where they went. Declan and Hazel. Tell us a little bit about Declan and Hazel. I know Declan's the turtle boy, we called him. He might be growing out of that, Carrie. But he's been to every turtle nest when you guys are on the island. He's been there. I keep waiting to get a, 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 a really threatening phone call or letter from the turtle people because the, the pool, I, I'm, in my, I'm, I'm in a brand new house. I've only been in it for two weeks now, I guess. And I can't turn the pool lights off. So Ooh. I know, I know I'm going to get the letter from the turtle ladies because I've got well, like, we only have one nest left. So, and it's not in front of your house. So that's good. You're, you're in the clear this year, but you better learn how to turn those lights off. We'll catch well, them in here. <laughs> yeah. They're going to bomb my house. I'm sure of it. <laughs> nice house. Um, where's Carrie? Is she still here? I'm still here. Okay. I've got the script in front of me and I can't see you. Um, Tell a little bit about your brother. He has a book coming out too. He has a he has virals is, has a new book out, right? He's got a book. I think it's dropped yesterday or today. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's unfortunately he wanted to join us too, but yeah. he had a flight to Utah to meet up with his writing partner as we speak. Um, but he has done really interesting work in kind of the young adult, middle grade, dystopian fiction corner. Um, I. I it's not the current one, but uh, <laughs> I, have what is here. I was looking for Brendan's book. We'll, we'll pretend Brendan is here with me. Here's his book. Um, wow. and, uh, you know, I, I can't speak for the content of it as well as he can, so I won't even try. But he is definitely producing. We try to write for across all the age levels, from <laughs> adult to the very earliest readers in our family. So we don't leave any, any reader unturned. And what I just wanted to point out before we move on, but it's so important, I think that it's really interesting that you and your brother Brendan were first lawyers like your dad, mm -hmm. and then you both switched over to be writers like your mom. So you you kind of covered both territories for your parents. You're not one of the things they made is what it is, you know. Oh my God, why did I become a lawyer? 
<laughs> we like well, to say that my other sister is the most functional member of society because she's a nurse like Patty used to be. So. Oh, <laughs> functional, functional members. As we, the six of us as writers, we're not under the functional category. None of us, none of us are. Functional, our books would be so boring. I know. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. True. Exactly. Well, Carrie's written four novels, and they're wonderful. And Carrie, we're waiting for your next one. I'm currently writing the COVID novel to come, so I look forward to that. Oh, really? Oh, we'll talk. We'll talk. I have a lot to share with you. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm writing about too. So I, we, we really have to have a glass of wine and talk about that. And speaking of writing, before we keep going, this is the moment we love: is when we ask our guest author. Can you share with us a writing tip and read us? Oh, let's get two of them. Oh, yeah. 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 I love let's it. Do for the okay. price of one. Do it, do it, do it. <laughs> <laughs> Never write with your kids, right? <laughs> oh, Kathy, Kathy is our peer pressure member. She'll put the peer pressure on. So. Okay. <laughs> one of the things I'm often asked about is... Um, one of the things that I've heard editors comment on, let me put it that way, is that when either professors or scientists write fiction, they make the same mistake over and over and over again. And that is they love their discipline, so they put too much of it in and they're afraid to kill their own preciousness. So I would say a tip, if you're going to put science or any any complicated area of expertise into fiction there are three things you have to keep in mind you have to keep it brief you can't just do these these dumps of all this information and you have to keep it entertaining you can't a lot of us have written scientific books textbooks and you don't have to be entertaining you just have to (laughs) clear. Well, that doesn't work in fiction. You have to figure out ways to do it and not just do it as straight narrative. And then you have to keep it jargon free. As scientists or experts, we rely on all this specialized terminology because we understand each other. You can't do that. So you've got to keep those three things in mind. And I I think there are skills, Carrie could comment on this, skills that are similar to um, Addressing a jury. You don't want to dumb it down. As an expert witness, you're presenting a complicated piece of information. You don't want to dumb it down, but you want to keep it brief and you want to keep it jargon free and you want to keep their interest. So you want to keep it reasonably entertaining. Can I ask you a question about that? Do you ever um, like say something not realizing that like the general public doesn't understand what that is? Um, I think I'm very wary of that, but if I do, my editor lets me know. Okay. So, yeah. Sometimes even just writing Southern fiction, like the editor will be like, I have no idea what that means. And I'm like, really? (laughs) I had no idea that, you know, only Southerners said that or whatever. (laughs) That's true. Christy, that happens a lot. (laughs) Mary, do you have a tip? Are you going to surprise us too and give us a twofer? I'll give you two for I will say that I agree with what she said about science. The same applies to law. I like to write about medical, ethical, legal issues in my books, and I have to dial it back a lot. Um, I would say two things. One thing I learned from my mom and one thing I learned from Bones. Um, 
And that is a, just because you're not working in a law firm measuring your life in six minute increments, you have to be very disciplined about writing because it is your profession and it's very easy without discipline to not stay on track. So when I moved to, when I quit my law job and moved to Venice Beach, California to write my first novel, as you do, um, <laughs> going it alone. And I was very stubborn about a Chinese wall with my mom. I wanted to do this all on my own. But after a couple of weeks, I was just like, this is really hard. I thought it was going to just bring <laughs> from my head fully formed like Minerva from the head of Zeus. And it's not happening. Like that. So I broke down and I called her and I said, how, um, how many pages do you write a day? And she said, well, you know, it, it just depends on what I'm working on, if it's heavy science or if it's dialogue. She said, but, you know, I really consider it. I've completed the day if I've written three pages a day. So I thought, okay, right. I'm going to write six pages every day. <laughs> Can't get up until I'm done because, you know, mothers and daughters. Uh, that's the one thing is just having your routine and making it, you know, you have to accomplish your work before you can get up. And just because you're not working on a short-term deadline, it doesn't change things. Um, and then the other I learned from writing for Bones is that even though we love our words and we love our anecdotes and our jokes and our characters, everything you write really needs to have a reason for existing that moves the plot forward. And when I first wrote, I was like, oh no, you know, like this is funny. People will enjoy this witty dialect back and forth, but it really does bog you down. And I think that I've learned that you dive right into the action. You don't, you don't need a lot of foreplay leading people into your book with your characters. You just get them right engaged with something immediately. My mom is the best at, at end of chapter cliffhangers. Like she's really, really good at that. And I've learned a lot from that from her I was writing for the bones you know these scenes the end of the scene would have the cliffhanger so I've tried to incorporate um, even though I don't write thrillers more of that in my writing but really diving right in and keeping the plot always moving forward Wow, I think we're very fortunate. I think everyone out there is writing very fast, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, thank you. We got two tonight. This is a real bonus. All right, I have to keep things moving because look at the time. Um, has anyone has a book? Does anyone have a book that they want to tell us about? Mary Kay, you said you had I one. I do. It is The Life, The Incredible Life of Eudora Honeyset. And um, I don't. I have it, but I don't have it right here. Um, it's by an English author. Her name is Annie Lyons, and it's about a elderly lady living in Southeast London, and she's ready to call it quits. She's cranky and irritable, and then um, new neighbors move in next door, and there's a little girl, and things change. Her perspective on life changes, and I really love it so far. Mm. Oh, that sounds so good. So I wanted to tell you guys about this one. And I know Kathy, Mary Kay Andrews loves it too because she blurbed it. But this is by our friend Mary Beth Mayhew Whalen. It is called This Secret Thing. And I can't okay, there we go. And my I think they just did such a brilliant job on the back. This makes me want to read it, it made me want to read it the minute I saw it. Secrets and lies, neighbors and friends. So it's got all of <laughs> I know. All the good stuff. I like that. And you've well, got a suburban madam in that book, too. Yeah. Ah. Well, we all love Mary Beth Mayhew Whalen. So good. I'm delighted. So we're charging into fall with a fabulous roster of guests. Sean, cue the video. Ha <laughs> <laughs> 
We love that. Yay! I like that. It was a lot of fun. That really was. Kathy, I love that your name just opens it with like boom. boom. <laughs> My name ever opens anything with a big boom. Yeah. <laughs> well, Patty, why don't you tell us about just next week? You're the host. Oh, next week we're going to have a fantastic time because we are going to be talking to Leon Dolan of the Satellite Sisters, which is that hugely popular website, Facebook group, and podcast. And her new book is called The Sweeney Sisters. And I am the oldest of three sisters. And so this book hit me in the exact right place. Leon Dolan has pitch perfect humor and spot on sister relationships. And I can't wait to introduce you to her next week. And we will have so many questions for her. And that is what we have going on next week. Um, do we have a graphic for that? I don't know if we do. If not, it will pop it up. You just yeah. it just oh, there it is. Okay. There it is. That that's going to be a lot of fun. We've all read the book, I think, already. So yes. we're okay. Ready for it. okay, now I have to ask Kathy. Were you surprised when Carrie came on? <laughs> oh, yes, I was. Yes. We were so hoping that the secret wouldn't sneak out or no, anything like that. I had no idea, and I'm just glad I said nice things about her earlier. Uh -huh. <laughs> I could have gone either way, you know? <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Kathy, for joining us tonight. And Carrie, thanks for coming in with a surprise and a big thanks, hug to Jacqueline and Hazel. And that's our program for tonight. We are really thrilled. I think this was our very first surprise visit episode. So it was <laughs> for all of us. And again, as the weather chills, I hope y'all cuddle up with something warm and dive into a conspiracy of bones. You're going to want something to cover you up. And you can order it right now from Park Road Books with a discount of 10% off. And if you're not a member of Friends in Fiction, we hope you'll join us. Sign up for our newsletter. And if you can't make the live show, please join us on our podcast or our website at www.friendsinfiction.com. And everyone, that's a wrap. Good night. Good night, everybody. Thanks, Carrie. Bye, 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 that was a great surprise. It was. That was a really fun surprise. I love that. I love that we're going to be doing that more. Yeah. Spoiler for everyone who's still on here. Yeah. You never know who's going to be popping on. That's right. I loved that Declan and Hazel were a surprise to us, though. We didn't know yeah, the kids were coming. <laughs> that was nice. So good. All the pictures she takes, the call the holiday cards. She has those kids there, and they're so beautiful. Yeah. They're beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Well behaved, nice too. And speaking of surprises, I had I had the uh, we're at ebb tide. At, we're down at Tybee, and I left the do doors to the deck open. And I, you could see me doing this. Gnats were like chewing my. Oh, oh, oh no! They're so oh, bad right now. They're so bad. I don't ever remember having like they're like flies and gnats. I feel like every time we try to eat outside, they're like flies everywhere. And oh, well, the we had a big temperature drop this morning, and so it's kind of crisp. But literally. Mm -hmm. I haven't been outside. I've been holding yeah. that cave. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not flies, Sean. They're skin. <laughs>
What was what did he put up? I I just got the end of that. He said MKA versus live. Yeah, you need to fact check Sean before you put these banners up. <laughs> Although Sean's banners make the show, I think. <laughs> the Savannah Sand Nats, Meg said, which is exactly right. That's hilarious. I love it. They really do. I just it always cracks me up. With the well, we all have kids. Could you imagine writing with your kids? I, I mean, the whole time she was talking about that, I'm thinking, what if I was writing a book with Megan or Thomas or Brad? Like. It, it's a totally different relationship. Oh, yeah. Being a mom, like, mm-hmm. I, I've never, yeah. I, the most collaboration I've done with my kids is designing a room, right? Mm-hmm. Like, can you imagine just writing a screenplay or a book? Yeah, no. 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 Will, when Will has always really liked to build stuff, and there are a lot of, like, architects and builders and stuff in his family. And so when he was little, he was like, Mom, when I grow up, we can have a show together on HGTV and I'll build the houses and you can decorate them. And I was like, oh, oh that's, you know, that's so sweet. Somebody's already done it. So, oh, well. Oh, what? How dare yeah. they? I, I know, them. right? I mean, it was such a, it was such a unique concept. <laughs> so Meg just typed in our, in our chat, Kathy and Katie, only one of you would come out alive. I know. <laughs> she, if you think I'm bossy. Well, I'm afraid if I started writing I with my with my girls, it'd be each one so different. I would have a completely one would tell me you're an idiot. This is the way it's going to be. And the other would be, Mom, you're so good. Whatever you want. So I'll let you guess who's who. (laughs) I don't have any problem with that. We've talked about my granddaughter, Molly, who's 11. Uh, and Griffin's a little bit interested, but we, we have an idea for a book we'd like to write together, but we, <laughs> all we have is a plot and a, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> well, I mean, we, no, we don't even have a plot. We have the, uh, the name, the title, and we have this little tiny shrimp boat that we want to write about. Oh, yeah. Well, Dorothea Benton Frank and her daughter wrote that right. Teddy Spaghetti together yeah. right before she passed. Yeah. 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 Yes. 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 Victoria Peluso. Yeah. What about you, Kristen? Are you and Noah going to write yeah. together? Noah, Noah is just attempting the art of um, telling jokes now, which he doesn't really get. So he'll say, like, like what's the milk's favorite cup? A cup. But then he all, it sort of makes no sense. But then he'll, but then he'll always but then he'll say, waka waka. And then we look back up. So I, I feel like there'd be a lot of like, there'd be like jokes that go nowhere, but they'd all end with waka waka. And like every waka. other four year old in the country would think they were hilarious. That's, that's true. That's <laughs> a developmental step. You're the way you get a four year old to laugh is you just put the word fart in it. Oh yeah. yeah. Yes, so there'd be a lot of that in our collaboration too. Maybe you could teach him a knock knock joke, Kristen. We we've tried, but everything reverts back to like what's waka the blank waka. favorite blank? Yeah. <laughs> waka waka. You should write it now because you won't remember it when he's you're, older. You're totally right. You're you totally think right. you will. will never forget. But yeah. You and that's yeah. why we write so novels. We totally right. Life. That's a good point. So cute. And you were talking earlier about like words that he mixes up, and 
There yeah. were a few things that I just did not ever want to tell Will because oh, they're so sweet. And yeah. Oh, well, yeah. now he knows. Oh. And then <laughs> mom, brain, mom brain takes over and you lose it all. That's true. You, you need to write it down. You're right. You yeah. think you won't lose any of it. And then, yeah. Can I just but text my grandchildren? grandchildren. I'm just going to text it to you guys and you can remind me in 20 years, okay? Yeah. yeah. What was that thing that I used to say? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Reading that text in 20 years, I'm going to remember anything. <laughs> you can visit me in the nursing home and feed me some applesauce, Kristen. <laughs> remember, and I'll say, who are you? <laughs> but you know what? You'll remember Waka Waka. I don't know. Waka Waka. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny what you remember. It really is. I mean, it's so strange. <laughs> <laughs> you saw that? I love that. That's great. Good night, everyone. Good morning. Great show, Mary Alice. Tomorrow Bye. is Little Will's birthday. So y'all come oh, back You've been listening to the Friends and Fiction Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Friends and Fiction Podcast wherever you listen. And if you're enjoying it, leave a review. You can find the Friends and Fiction authors at www.friendsandfiction.com as well as on the Facebook group page, Friends and Fiction. Come back soon, okay? There are still lots of books, writing tips, interviews, publishing news, and bookstores to chat about. Goodbye. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.